Matthew 11. We're going to start in Matthew 11, but if you've been here for the last few weeks, you'll know that we kind of are doing a series. Normally, we take a bit of the Bible and we just work our way through it. We're doing a bit more of a series where we're trying to get a theme, and we're looking at this theme of fruitfulness. How do we live lives that are fruitful, that are growing more and more in the good fruit that God has for us? Um, and today, we're going to think particularly about the subject of rest. Um, how can we be fruitful in our resting? So let me just read a couple of verses from Jesus in Matthew 11, which we're going to then come back to these, rather run up at these and come back to them and hopefully see by the time we get back to them again why these are such beautiful verses. But Matthew 11, verse 28 Jesus is talking, he says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why don't we pray? Let's pray and ask that God would help us. Father, please, this afternoon... Would you remove all distractions? Would you help us to stay alert? I pray that you would really speak to us by your spirit, that you would show us things in your words which you want us to understand, you want us to know, so that we can change and live for you. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Great, so I wonder if you're tired this afternoon. Um, I think a lot of us feel tired a lot of the time. You get those adverts on the tube, are you tired of feeling tired? It's like, they know, right? They know that we're everybody going down the escalator. No one goes past that sign and says, no, that's not me. We're all tired a lot of the time. And we live in a busy city, and we have lives that can sometimes feel very full and can sometimes feel very empty. And whether we have a very full diary or a very empty diary, we can still find ourselves being tired. We're looking for rest of some sort. But the trouble is that I think many of us don't really know how to rest. I think many people in this city of London don't know how to rest properly. So that's what we're going to try and tackle um, this afternoon. What, what does it mean to rest and how do we be fruitful? So, for example, you get a, an evening... You've got an evening on your own or with flatmates or whatever, and you've got a clear evening. How do you decide what you're going to do with it? Do you think about it or do you just kind of let it unfold before you? And how often have you got to the end of an evening like that and thought, well, I've sort of wasted it. I, I mean, have I rested? I don't know. I've sort of rested. I haven't done anything, but I, haven't, I don't feel like I've been fruitful in my resting. Is there a way to rest in such a manner that at the end of the resting we feel contented and satisfied with an evening of rest, a day of rest? Those are the sorts of things we're going to try and tackle. You have to understand that things have changed quite a lot in the kind of church world in the last 50 years. 50 years ago, um, it would be very, very normal for this talk, this sermon, to be well, you're going to talk about Sunday. You're going to talk about not doing any work on a Sunday, right? Because certainly 50 years ago, it was generally the case 
that people didn't do stuff on a Sunday. You didn't play football. This is a sort of, I, I, I was the tail end of this as I was growing up. We had this slightly weird thing where I wasn't allowed to play football with my friends, but we weren't entirely sure why, but we just didn't. And it partly comes from great heroes of the past. Some of you would have seen the kind of um, Chariots of Fire, right? Eric Liddell, I'm acting it for you so that you know. Uh, Eric Liddell, famously a great sportsman, a great Christian, who famously refused to run on a Sunday because he was a Christian even though the 100-meter sprint, which was his event in the Olympics, was on a Sunday. He refused to run it. He entered a different one instead and won that instead on a different day of the week. It's a great story. It's a great film. Here is a man of principle, and we look at that, and we go, wow, what a man of principle. But we, don't you sometimes find yourself thinking, well, why didn't he just run on a Sunday? <laughs> what, was the, what was the problem with that? And so we've come from that sort of a heritage, but I think we've moved a long way from that, most of us. Most of us now probably wouldn't think much about going out for dinner on a Sunday, going to the shops on a Sunday. Like, my parents would never do that. And yet most of us in this room probably are in a place where we've sort of moved to here. And the thing is, if I didn't know why I couldn't play football on Sunday, I still don't know why I can go to the shops. I still don't really know. I don't know what the principles I'm supposed to be applying in this setting. So we've come from here to this place now where there feels, seems to be much more of a, a liberty about it. But, and some of you will be aware of this, there's an increasing teaching, particularly coming out of America, which is wanting to re-establish the Sabbath as an important Christian practice. Some of you may have come across guys like John Mark Comer and others like him um, who are really pushing Sabbath, taking one day a week. They don't mean Sunday. They mean one 24-hour period a week when you stop from your normal labor and you make pancakes in the morning, and you have a lie-in, and you do fun things, and you go for a walk in the woods, and you worship God, and you turn off your phone. And there's something about that that sounds really attractive. And many, many people are sort of being drawn to that. So what do we do? How do we find our way through? That's what we're going to try and talk about for a few minutes. And this is a conversation starter, okay? I'm not going to be able to solve this issue, um, which has been raging for many hundreds of years in the church. But I want to say some things, and particularly get practical towards the end. Um, so let's, let's start with this, okay? Here's what um, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the early churches, they were obviously having struggles with this. They'd watched Chariots of Fire, and they didn't know, you know, what are we supposed to do? This is what the Apostle Paul said. Um, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. I think that's quite clearly putting this issue of exactly how you do this resting in an issue that is a conscience thing. You've got to work it out. What do you think? How are you going to do this? Paul doesn't seem to be setting down an, a, a 
diktat from on high saying, this is how you must keep the Sunday or the Sabbath or the Lord's Day or whatever you want to call it. Paul doesn't seem to be saying that. He's saying, now there's freedom here. But I think our problem is that we don't know what we think. We don't know what we consider. One, you know, if I said to you today, okay, hands up, who considers one day more special than who, who, Hands up, who doesn't? We'd be sort of split, and we wouldn't really know. Well, that's what we're going to try and help us to get towards. Right, let's go back into the Old Testament. We're going to do some work um, on this idea of the Sabbath. I know it's warm. We're going to go for this. Um, I promise it will get practical at the end, um, I, and, and I really hope this will help you. Um, keeping the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. It's commandment number four. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Right? It's one of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments come up in two places in the Bible, in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5. And the fourth commandment is different in those two places. We're going to see why. Okay, here we go. This is Exodus... Oh, no, get back. This is Exodus 20. Here is what God says. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, for on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Okay, so here's the big command. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Holy means it's distinct, right? It's different from all the other days. There should be something about this seventh day which is different. You stop from doing your work. The word Sabbath literally means stop. Stop what you're doing for one day. Now, why did God tell his people to do this, right? Have a look at the, the, the words from when God gave this command, what was the grounds for keeping one day holy? Creation. Because for, in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, see it's all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. You see, when God made this world, he wove into the rhythm of creation this pattern of six days you work and one day you rest. It's a rhythm there is something about being human and being created by God that means we are created with this rhythm wired into us. That's interesting. Okay, so here's God. You know, God creates the world. On day one, he makes um, light and dark. Day two, he makes sky and sea. Day three, he makes the land. Day four, he makes some many stars. Day five, he makes the fish and the birds. Day six, he makes the animals and the people. Then day seven, he rests. Why? Not because he's tired, right? Whew, that was hard. God doesn't rest because he's tired. He rests because he wants to model to his creatures what you are going to need. God doesn't need to rest. You do. God doesn't need to sleep. You do. And this rhythm that runs through creation tells us about rest and about Sabbath. The Sabbath, you see, this rhythm is a gift that God gave you. All right, um, 
On the sixth day, God made the human beings, all right? On the sixth day, he made human beings. What was the first full day the human beings experienced? The Sabbath. The seventh day. Their, full ex- their first experience of the full day was to rest. Now that, right? You've got to see this. That flips your understanding of how work and rest operates. Because we think you work, and when you've done some hard work, you earn your rest. Right? That's how we think. I've been digging the garden all day. I mean, obviously we haven't because we don't have gardens. But, you know, if we had a garden, I've been potting flowers all day in flower pots. I'm so tired, now I rest. God, in the very beginning, established it differently. He said, no, you rest. You rest, and then from that place of rest, you work. It's a gift. It's a gift that God gives because he loves you. It's a gift that God gives because he knows that you need rest. And this rhythm of creation is something that God said is so important for his people that he was going to make it one of his top ten commandments. Follow this rhythm. Don't try and fight it. I came across a great quote this week that says, if you, go across, if you go against the grain of the universe, you will get splintered. If you go against the grain of the universe, you will get splintered. In other words, if you try and resist the natural rhythms that God has put into place, you will find that your life is harder. You see, if God's pattern and his rhythm was that you would rest one day, you work for six, you rest for one, that is his pattern. So see the rhythm. That almost felt quite, um, what's that film? Feel the rhythm. Yes, cool runnings. I nearly made that one of my kind of like, feel the rhythm, feel the ride. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, oh, it'd be nice to be in a bobstay now, wouldn't it? Kind of the <laughs> snow and ice. Um, so there's a rhythm. Now, look, let's look at Deuteronomy. Right, so let's see what happens when we get this command in Deuteronomy. You're going to see it's different. Here it is in Deuteronomy. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Interesting, right? Exodus, keep the Sabbath day because that's the rhythm of creation. Deuteronomy, keep the Sabbath day because you once were slaves and now you've been set free. So if in Exodus, Sabbath is about rhythm, then in Deuteronomy, Sabbath is about identity. It tells you who you are. You were slaves in Egypt. You didn't get a day off. You didn't get a break. You could never stop. On constantly, make more bricks. Make more bricks. A relentless, ruthless driving of the people to work, work, work. 
But God in his power came and rescued them. He brought them to himself. He said, you're mine. And one of the things that God said is because you're mine, now you get a rest. Now you get a break. Now you get to stop. It tells you who you are. Every seventh day, the Saturday in the Old Testament, the Sabbath day, was a reminder to the people, this is who we are. We're slaves, but not anymore. We belong to God. We belong to the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We belong to the one who rescued us out of slavery, the one who's powerful to save. That's who we are. It became about their identity. It marked them out as different from the nations. You see, the nations had other gods. The nations had um, idols that the, the nations worshipped, but they never gave you a break. They never said, oh, stop. They kept demanding more and more of you. More offering, more this, more work, more. But God says, no, one day in seven, you stop. And I really love this. Who stops on this one day? Everybody. Everybody who's in God's people, including the animals, including, including those who weren't naturally born in Israel, the foreigners who joined them, including the servants and the slaves, all of them rested. There is an egalitarian view of rest here that says this is for absolutely everybody. Wow. What a society. Can you imagine a society where once a week, everybody stopped? Everybody stopped. And they stopped in order that they might spend time together, that they might enjoy one another, in order that they might worship God. God says, this is who you are. So the Sabbath is about identity. That one of the other places um, in Deuteronomy talks about the Sabbath being like a sign. The Sabbath is a sign for you. This one day a week, so, I mean, simple illustration, but my wedding ring is a sign that I'm married. On those days when I forget and I look at my hand and go, whoa, flip. Um, the Sabbath was a one day a week when it reminded you, it was a sign that told you who you are. A sign for you. Which is why, in the Old Testament, of the Ten Commandments, Sabbath-breaking is the one that they broke the most. And the one that God gets most angry about. Right, do you know, in the Old Testament, if you broke the Sabbath, if you worked on the Sabbath, you would be put to death. You say, well, that's a bit harsh. No, because it's about who you are. And to refuse to accept this beautiful gift from the God who saved you is to throw it back in his face and say, I don't want to belong to you. I don't want you to be my identity. I want to find my own identity. You see, think about how our culture works, right? Think about where you find your identity. You find your identity in your work, right? That's where we find our identity in what we do. But God says, no, if you're my people, you find your identity in your rest, it's your rest that defines who you are, not what you work at. You do your work out of the place of rest. We've got this so turned upside down. 
And this is why we become so stressed out, because our culture is constantly pressuring us and telling us that there's more to do, more to do. It's why you, it's so hard to turn your phone off, right? Because you carry around our little idols in our pockets. That even when we are trying to have a rest, it pings and it tells you that something at work needs to be done. There's rest. It's who you are. So we've seen that it's about rhythm. We've seen it's about identity. But we just need to now see that this, this story of the Sabbath, you see, what we, the mistake that we could make now is, great, okay, well, let's do that then. Let's have Saturdays off. That's what the uh, Jews used to do from sundown on Friday night through to sundown on Saturday night. Let's just do that. Call that Sabbath. Let's just be Jewish. Let's do that. But that would be to miss what's happening. Because everything that happens in the Old Testament is there's a trajectory to it, right? We're going to do a lot more of this in next term because we're going to do Sermon on the Mount. We're going to do tons on this. It's going to be really fun. How does the law of the Old Testament apply today? But there's a trajectory. So here's the Sabbath. What's it pointing towards? I guess it's like if you're an architect and you make a little model of what your building is going to one day be. Here's the model but you'd be mad if you said, well, that's it, that's the building. No, no, that's just the model that's pointing to the culmination of it. Okay, so what is, the, what is the Sabbath pointing us to? Well, that brings us to Jesus. Jesus who said, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus who came and said, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus who came and healed on the Sabbath. That's gone. Never mind. It's resting. <laughs> Don't worry. Has the battery run on that? Fine. Never mind. Doesn't matter. We can live without it. Um, it all comes and finds its reality in Jesus. This is what Paul says in, in the book of Colossians. Um, Paul says... Do not let anyone judge you by a Sabbath day or a new moon festival. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. A shadow that finds its reality in Christ. The shadow of Sabbath finds its reality in Jesus. You see, Jesus is the, the creator God who stepped into this world. And Jesus came in order that he might take the burden of our desperate desire to be God. Every time we refuse to rest, every time we refuse to stop, we're essentially saying, I don't need God, I can do it on my own. I am God. Every time that we think we can operate on like four hours sleep a night and get these people go, oh yeah, I can do four hours sleep. No, you can't. You will crash. You will break. And if you don't willingly rest now, then God will make you rest. Psalm 23 is one of the most famous psalms in the Bible. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Some of us go, oh, that's nice. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Sometimes he makes you lie down in green pastures, right? Because you refuse to. 
And sometimes God will act in order that you will just stop and rest. Because we need to rest. And this rest, the reality of it is found in Jesus. And so in Jesus, we find our joy. In Jesus, we find the one who carries our burden. You see, I'm so burdened by trying to be God. I'm so burdened by carrying all of this stuff on my shoulders. It's crushing me because I was never designed to carry it. And Jesus said, I will lift that burden from you. Jesus gives you rest. The whole reason that Jesus came into this world is the whole reason that Jesus died on a cross so that you could find rest for your soul, so you could find true, proper, eternal rest. If you've never come to Jesus for rest, you have to. You won't find true rest anywhere else. And the reality is found in Christ who is preparing his people for an eternal Sabbath rest that will last forever. There's so much to say here. It's far too much. Right, we're going to finish by being practical, okay? So I want to try and land on this because we haven't answered any of the questions we started with. So should I keep a 24-hour Sabbath or not? What should we do? Okay, here are some things to, to consider, right? Um, I want to suggest you do not need to keep the Sabbath as it was stated in the Old Testament fourth commandment because the reality is now found in Christ. You keep the fourth commandment by coming to Jesus and trusting him. That's how you keep the fourth commandment. And therefore, I am nervous about anyone who wants to try and impose or, or, or just suggest strongly that the Sabbath is still something that all Christians should be compelled to keep. Okay? Saying that. But the principle of the Sabbath is still unbelievably helpful and useful. And this principle of the Sabbath, I think, is a more helpful way to think about it. Rather than, I must keep the Sabbath, it's, there are principles that we find in the Sabbath which help us to find true rest. Let me show you what I mean. Here's, okay, here's a few. We'll do these really quickly. Um, the Sabbath. For Christians, the Sabbath, finding this sort of rest, is different to a day off. Right, so most of us um, have kind of Saturday and Sunday. Get a weekend. I know some of us are shift workers, all the rest of it. I think what we've done in kind of the Christian world is we've just begun to sort of think, well, to rest is just to do what the world does, right? To just enjoy nice things and go out and see lots of people and be busy doing lots of things. And sometimes our days off can be more busy than our work days. Some of us are so tired because we've packed our days off with loads of stuff. And there's life admin to do. You've got to sort out the insurance for the car. You know, these things that just mount up and it's like, ah, I'm so stressed. Those things have to be done. But I want to suggest that we actually embrace the Sabbath principle of taking time away from all of that. Taking time when we step aside. Maybe that is a day. Maybe you do want to have a think about that and maybe adopt something like that. Maybe that would be helpful for you. If you were going to do that, what would it look like? Okay, well, I suggest you, you clear the day. Supposing you decided, okay, I want to use Sundays differently, right? I just want to have a go 
Uh, you don't call it a Sabbath, because I don't think that's particularly helpful. I think saying, I want to try and use Sunday to rest is helpful. So clear the day. Don't do stuff on the day you're going to try and rest that you could have done every other day of the week. Okay, so here's, um, here's a young couple who are in love, but they live a long way away um, from each other, and they only get to see each other once a week. Um, Hamish and Mabel. And Hamish and Mabel, deeply in love, and they only get to see each other once a week. And Mabel travels all the way from Scotland to the South Coast, and they have the weekend. They have one day together a week. And when she turns up, Hamish says, oh, it's great that you're here, Mabel. Um, I've actually just got to go... I've got, I've got quite a busy day, actually. Um, I need to go shopping. I haven't done my weekly shop yet. And um, there's actually a, a sports match. I'm really excited about watching that. So that'll be, that'll be good. Um, you can understand that Mabel might say, now, hang on a second. <laughs> this is our day. This is our day. And it says something about what Hamish thinks of Mabel if he doesn't really care about her. And I just wonder if we've lost something in the way that we just treat every day the same. So why not think, what could I do? What could I clear out of my way on a Sunday so that I can enjoy time with other Christians, with other friends, so I can enjoy time coming to church, so I can have time to pray and to reflect and to read? Clear. Why not try and clear the day? Of course, if you need to go to a um, shop because there's something that you, you need, great. But if you make it your weekly day for go shopping, I think that's a bit weird, personally. Third thing, um, set patterns and rhythms. Try and get into a pattern. Now, I know, okay, our lives are chaotic. I understand that. Um, but I want to just push back and say that's not an excuse. I had a message from someone this week, a student, not from Globe, um, I'm doing something with their CU, and she said, um, sorry I've not got back to you, my life has been carnage. <laughs> but in a good way. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? And how can it possibly be good to be in carnage? And yet I think lots of us sort of operate this chaotic, manic life. We just run around. And actually, there's something so lovely about a rhythm. Before Linda and I had kids, um, we had every, every Wednesday, that was our day, that was our day to rest. Every Wednesday, we'd go to McDonald's for breakfast. And we struggled to get there by 10.30. That seems unbelievable to me now. But it was kind of, it was, I know it's a bit sad, but we liked it. And it meant we sat there, and we talked, and we prayed, and there was a sort of a rhythm to it. And I just don't think we're very good at putting habits in place. Why not have rhythms for Sunday morning? Look, we meet at four in the afternoon. That means you've got a Sunday morning where you could say, actually, our Sunday morning is going to look like this. Think about, are there rhythms and patterns? Perhaps there's a few of you who say, why don't we try and have brunch together every week? Obviously, we, if you can't make it, that's fine. But just a rhythm. Let's get together. Let's read something. Let's pray. Um, make it the best day of the week. 
So when our, when our kids were small, we used to have chocolate cereal on a Sunday, but not any other day. Because we were like, we want our kids to think that Sunday is a good day. I've got to be honest, when I was growing up, I was quite jealous of my non-Christian friends because they got two Saturdays at the weekend. I got a Saturday and then a Sunday. <laughs> Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever look at your work colleagues and think, oh, it's all right for you because you get to have two days off. I've got to spend one of them doing all this churchy stuff and running the PA and looking after kids. Do you ever find yourself thinking that? I wonder if we've lost something of our delight that says, no, this is a good day. This is a day to have a nice breakfast. This is a day to crack open a nice bottle of wine if you drink wine. This is a day to do nice things. This is a day to enjoy, to enjoy with God's people in worship. Not a day to kind of squeeze the church in in, in this little box and then go, well, that's that done. But to celebrate. I hope you get some, I, I hope this is, here's the last one. And it's about worship, not slavery. It's a day to worship God. It's a day to say, God, I want to worship you today. So I would love you to think um, and to perhaps go away from this kind of talk this afternoon and to think, what could you do differently? What could you do differently? How could you use the time that God gives you to rest more effectively? You see, if you don't plan it, your heart will just default to wasting it. And you will binge watch an episode, uh, kind of Netflix or you will work your way through um, whatever it is. <laughs> that, that time will just disappear and that rest that God has given you, you just fritter it away. If we're going to rest well, it will take some hard work <laughs> to plan, to think, to prepare. But I would love, I would love for us as a church to begin to think, what are the traditions? What are the things that we, the rhythms that we just love to do? Yeah, it's great to meet together like this. But what else goes around that? How do we prepare for it? So why don't we pray? Um, let's pray. And then I hope as we go off into this week, and these principles then can apply to an evening that you find you have free. You think, okay, how do I use this evening to rest with God to rest and to worship him, to rest because of who I am. And I think it means that our colleagues around us should see, and our friends around us should see that we're different, that what we do on a Sunday is not the same as what we do on a Saturday, that we rest with God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you this afternoon that Jesus is our rest. We praise you this afternoon that he is our worship and joy. And Father, we confess that so often we, we either run around being so manically chaotic or we, um, we, we just waste these precious rest times you give us. We fill them with nonsense and meaningless stuff. Father, we pray that you'd help us to enjoy the good things you give us, to enjoy food, to enjoy sports, to enjoy um, friendships, and to enjoy TV, but not to binge those, but to enjoy them and to rest as you've created us to. Lord, help us, we pray. And we ask that you'd help us to make this rhythm into our lives, this 
identity that says, no, we belong to you and this reality that we find in Jesus. Help us, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing together. Um, We're going to sing a couple of songs. Um, First one lifts our eyes to say, God is holy. He's holy, holy. Let's lift up his name with the sound of singing. Um, But let's take some time. God wants you to rest. He loves you. He wants you to rest and to find your rest in Jesus. Let's spend some time worshiping him. Let's stand and let's sing.